Hey everybody, it's Film Photography Project 101. <laughs> Film Photography 101, that's right, episode 101. 101. A- April 15, 2014, this is the place to be. Myself, Leslie Lazenby. Hi everyone. John Fideli. I still love Tim Tams. And uh, we're waiting for Matt. Matt will be here any minute. Is he outside putting gas in the car? No, you yeah. know, he's on his way in. Uh-huh. You know, so uh, this is going to be an exciting show. Uh, FPP correspondent Amy Davies is going to be interviewing pinhole photographer Marion Roth. And, of course, perfect timing because at the end of this month, it is Worldwide Pinhole Photography Day. If you don't know anything about pinhole photography, this is an awesome introduction. We're going to be talking about film and cameras. (laughs) Really? Yeah. Great. We'll be talking about some cameras that I never knew about, like the Olympus FTL. I'm like, what? I know Canon has an FT. Why does Olympus have an FT? We're hmm. going to find out. They wanted to get their own FT. Yeah. Exactly. We're going to be talking about uh, accessorized with accessories, uh, filters for standard black and white film photography, and filters for color photography. Uh, I want to talk about that. You know, when resident FPP Nikon guy, Rick Paul, isn't out shooting with his Nikon, do you know what he's doing? He's in his darkroom processing his own film. Yeah. That's right. Uh, we're going to be talking about, you know, film stock of the week, although this is not new to the FPP. It's been... Hey, come on in. Who's there? Come on in. The door locked. Oh, how? Hold on. He locked it, the door. Hey, it's bad. Hey, man, we're waiting for you. Came lickety-split. I just knew. Pull up a chair and grab a Tim Tam. Oh, right up my alley. Uh, I think we should talk about Film of the Week. Not new to the FPP, but fairly new. It's only a few months that we discovered it. Mm-hmm. The uh, High Contrast 5363, which uh, Leslie and I and Matt and John, uh, uh, a few weeks ago, we were uh, shot it, I shot it, processed it, roll came out blank. <laughs> we'll tell you why. Some things you never think about when shooting photography how, of sensitivity to light. Uh, yeah, it's important. Uh, when, when you were souping up a thing and it came out completely white, the look on your face and the sound. I was it, just was, so, it was so so disappointing. It was be, so sad. Because I shot portraits. Like, oh, like really? It's horrible. Oh. You can't do that with digital. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, You don't get that bitter sense of disappointment. <laughs> that, digital. that and a lot more when we come back. We'll be right back. Computer crashes. Yeah. 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 And now the results of our photographic competition and to present the prize is Lord Litchfield. Third prize, Automatic Olympus XA1 with the Zyco lens. Tony Lupton, mittens and muff. Second prize, the more sophisticated XA2. Frank Hamilton, sunset over Stevenage. First prize, and fittingly top of the XA range, the XA itself, Ron Digsworth, Marie. Congratulations, Ronald. Ron Digsworth? Who's he? The 35mm XA range from Olympus. Hey, this is Michael Rosso, and a lot of you folks have been asking, Hey man, when's the 2014 FPP Walking Workshop? FPP Walking Workshop. Head on over to filmphotographyproject.com, and right on our homepage is all the information about the FPP Walking Workshop 2014 in Finlay, Ohio, this May. That's right. 
come on out and join myself, Matt Marash, Leslie Lazenby, Jeff Salisbury from Finlay University, and some surprise guests, the Jersey Boys. That's right. Come on out. This will be our only FPP meetup in 2014. So mark the date in your calendar and come on out. If you're listening to this in an archive and the date has passed, go to filmphotographyproject.com and just search Walking Workshop 2014 to read and see all the highlights. Thanks very much, and I look forward to seeing you. That's right, yeah. Yeah. This is Amy Davies for the Film Photography Podcast, and I'm in Provincetown, Massachusetts, talking to Marion Roth, a photographer specializing in pinhole photography, and um, also lately you've been incorporating other forms of artwork into your pinhole photography, but maybe can we talk about just what is pinhole photography? Pinhole photography, sometimes I've now noticed people will, you know, people call it camera obscura or pinhole. I think that camera obscura, which is a darkened room, basically, is kind of synonymous with pinhole. Uh, To me, pinhole is like a more common, ordinary way to say it. It doesn't have that museum sound to camera obscura. In my mind, I, I call camera obscura when I have an actual room that I've made into a camera, and I call pinhole all my little cans and boxes. But that's just recently I've come to that delineation when when I say pinhole to someone who's in a museum and they don't know what I'm talking about. Oh. Oh, the camera obscura. Oh, well, you know, so. <laughs> uh, so in a pinhole camera, you make the most basic thing, you make a hole for your aperture. You know, if it's the size of a nail, it's a bigger aperture. It's smaller, like a pin, it has, you know, a higher f-stop, basically, right? Uh, so your, your aperture is a hole, all right? Mm-hmm. No mirror because you don't need to flip anything because you can't see what you're doing. And your shutter is, for me, mostly a piece of tape, okay, electrical tape. And inside the box, instead of mounting film, which you can do, whatever the box is, whatever your container is, will have some light-sensitive material in it, be it for me, hand-coated paper, or I've done film, you know, uh, factory paper, anything that will take an image, okay, is sitting inside the box, just like your film is sitting inside the camera. And pull away the tape, bam, light comes in, exposes the, the photographic material, close the tape, it's over. Into the darkroom you go to develop whatever's on that piece of paper or film or with the paper is it so it's just attached to the back it's not in a film holder where it's say if you take the picture well, and you for go, me i never it's very hard to put the you know each camera has its own story so the joy of pinhole is the adventure of connecting with whatever camera it is you make the camera most of the time you know anybody most pinhole photographers we make our own cameras and we, cut, we try to make them work. The whole joy is to try to make this egg box 
car, building, whatever, to try and, you know, some people do it in their mouth, you know, stick a piece of paper and a piece of film in your mouth, open up your lips just a little bit, expose it, close your mouth and go in the dark room. So whatever the vehicle is that's holding the, the photographic material is your camera. And, but they all work exactly on the same principle, whole shutter photographic material and so, on which a negative is created. And so you're, in your instance, the negative is on paper. Well, it's been, uh, you know, over the years, you know, there's nothing in the universe like film. Film is, there's nothing to compare with it. There's, it, it is, it has, I, I mean, I could just, you know, people that do film, we, we can just go on and on and on about film. Because <laughs> there's nothing like grain, you know, it's just, it's film is film. But... The problem with film for me as a pinhole photographer was I became intrigued with one-on-one, -on -one, size one-to-one -one ratio. The thing with film is it can be enlarged. So you can have a small camera and get a big image. I wanted to have a big camera for a big image. I wanted everything to be one-to-one. -one. So there was a limit to how much I could do on film because film doesn't come as big as, as my, my van. So. I started to do hand-coated paper for negatives, and, but that also let me partake a little of uh, the joy of painting because you, can, you buy liquid emulsion, you heat it up, and in the darkroom you apply it to whatever surface you want to apply it to. So paper I could have, I've, I've done, like in the van, I had rolls of paper that were 30 inches high color paper that I would buy in a roll and then just put it out in the van, attach it with magnets to a, a piece of uh, uh, sheet metal mm -hmm. and I attack and I would twist it so it, so the uh, film plane was and I don't like a linear film plane that's the other that's the other thing so uh, I could put this thing on with magnets a giant piece of paper and I drilled a hole in the side of the van, so that's my pinhole, and then pull away a piece of tape. Light comes in, exposes one gigantic piece of paper at once. When I, when I would do hand-coated paper, I would go into the darkroom, coat a ton of it all at once, dry it on a, you have to, you know, the emulsion has to dry, so I would dry it on these screens that I had a giant piece of screen all along the top of my darkroom and it would dry and then I would put it in a box and take that box into the van. So you'd have a light tight box, slip it yes. in there. And, okay. and then the hard thing of course is to remember which ones you've already exposed and which ones you haven't, believe me. I mean if there's any, it's so stupid but that takes time to figure out that you you need a system to know what you already did. Mm -hmm. Putting it on the bottom won't help because how do you know when you take it off the top that you aren't <laughs> taking off, anyway, turning it upside down? It's hard when there's no light, mm -hmm. okay? Inside the van is dark. But when I did colored paper, that was all in one sheet, which I would cut in the dark room off a roll, roll it up into a tube, put the tube into the van, then in the van, take the tube out, put out the piece of paper, roll it up again, put it back in the tube, and then take the tube to a color lab where they would let me put it through the machine. Okay. And, and they let you do that yourself? They used to. We're talking about days when the color, there were color labs. Yeah. You know, uh, yeah. And so let's talk a little more about the van. So what, what kind of, what year was it? What, okay, what was it? it was, uh, what happened with the van was 
the first large format pinhole camera I made was a dune shack. Uh, one room I put uh, plastic on all the windows and I punched a little hole and I built a, some kind of a wall because the, the problem is you can project to the back wall but there's, a pl there's one moment in space where it's, it's, it's most in focus just like uh, you would do, you know, the, the, the uh, millimeters of a lens have a certain, you know, at 50 millimeters it's this, you know, so it's, it's the principles of photography are all exactly the same and you really kind of learn the principles when you do pinhole uh, because you, everything, you see it, you're inside the camera seeing the formation of a negative, it's totally awesome experience. So I did the, I did the shack and the trouble with the shack was there was only windows facing one direction. So there's only one thing that I could photograph. And there's a million ways you could do it, and then already enough, you know, looking at this dune, there's nothing else happening. So the van was a progression of that because it was mobile. Uh, and I started dreaming about having a van, and then some friends of mine that were artists had a van, a Dodge Caravan, that 1988 or something like that, it was pretty old, 86, 1986 Dodge Caravan, and they wanted to sell it. They were finished with it. So I bought it for th from them for $1,500. I think this was uh, 1999, another big expenditure, but for camera and a van at the same time, you know, it was okay. And I, I drilled a hole on the side and I covered all the windows with plastic again because uh, the caravan had a lot of windows. And then I, I had a friend who built me a partition between the cab and the back, a piece of wood, so that when I was driving, I was driving, I was driving, and then when I found a spot that I wanted to take a picture, I would get out, I would open the side door, climb in, put up my paper in the van, close the door and pull away the tape and take a picture. And, you know, I had a little pillow in there and I tried timers, but I couldn't <laughs> buy timers and then I couldn't find them. So in the end, it was all counting. Uh, and I would just wait till it felt like the picture had been taken. Totally inaccurate and completely joyful to me. The lower tech, it was no tech. It's so low tech, there's no tech. And were the exposures a matter of minutes or hours? Or? Uh, no, 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 they were never hours. Hours you would have to do if it was night or really dark. But on a sunny day, it depends on the paper, okay? Because some are faster, some are slower, just like film, you know? Uh, and it would depend on the amount of light that was outside. So, uh, on a sunny day, I could take a picture for maybe three minutes. When I was in the shack, there were five-minute exposures. So, you know, I, I could count. I once, the, my first job that I had as a photographer was working in a lab, and all the film was developed, I had to develop by hand. So I got really good at knowing 30-second wash, 60-second uh, this, three minute, you know, I, that was the game I played with myself to make it bearable, to be just developing film all day, you know, was to learn how to, how to count. And then to learn how to, how to know the count without counting. 
to guess when three minutes was up. So I got really good at it. Pinhole is so permissive. When you're taking a camera with a tiny little hole uh, on film, even, you know, there's a certain amount of leeway. You know, slides is a different thing, but uh, film has leeway, a lot of leeway. And in the pinhole, there's a lot of leeway. You know, things did get underexposed and things did get overexposed, but most things just seem, the system seemed to work for me. So it seems like there's a little, uh, the excitement of the risk, and besides the creating may have been part of the, the fun of it, because if you're spending a tremendous amount on, on paper, and then you're kind of feeling when the exposure's done, was that part of it, was the, the risk of... of... Not, the thing with the expensive paper was, was kind of risky, but... Uh, by the time I got the paper, I convinced somebody else to buy the paper for me. So I don't even remember what the circumstances were, but I remember that I got a really good deal and I put, I somehow put it together to get it. But when you spend, you know, a whole day making paper, hand coating paper and putting in a box, drying it, putting in the box, then going out. And when I used, I also had cans, popcorn cans. So each can had one exposure in it, or, you know, I, I, I used to put 120 film in cookie tins, which was beautiful pictures came out that way. Uh, one, one cookie tin, one roll of film, one picture. So you have to load, if you load five cameras, you still only have five exposures. It's tedious, but joyful, so that I would go out in the day and I'd have my my, all my paper would be coated, and then I would go out with the cameras, come back, develop, and maybe you'd get a picture. You know, you had to get a good picture. You know, the truth was it wasn't only about the joy. It was also about going through that whole process and capturing something that actually looked interesting. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Because process, for me, the process was everything. But for the viewer... Uh, they're looking at the thing. They're not looking at what, you know, if you're lucky, you can feel inside of it all the process that went through to get it there. But it's still an image. But I loved, I, I loved that sweat and working at it. And it was like taming a wild animal. And, and that's the thing I always, you know, there's a time when you love the little camera that you press the button, boom, and it takes a picture and, and it's cool. I think then, when I first started doing photography with regular 120 camera or 35 millimeter camera, the joy was in the composition. The joy was in the, the connection between the outside world and you and, and finding that right spot where it was perfect. So it was very eyes and, and the connection was very powerful. The thing with pinhole is you can't see. So I was drawn to it because I spent, I started trying to make a living doing weddings and all this kind of stuff. And all the joy was going out of it because I wasn't, it wasn't about, here I had this beautiful 120 camera and uh, it was all about getting the kiss or getting the blah, blah, you know, it was a whole other different story. So it, disturbed me and that's why I, I loved the pinhole because I didn't have to think I didn't have to look I could just take a can stick it in front of something 
pull away a piece of tape, and lo and behold, something beautiful would happen. So some other part of my, me as an artist took control. Uh, and and I, that, I love that. We were talking a couple of weeks ago um, at an exhibit where one of your pieces is paired with another artist, and you were talking about the conscious self uh, when you were making the photo, and then now being a different person, viewing the photo almost through somebody else's eyes, having it paired with this other mm -hmm. artist. And I thought that was just, I've never heard anybody express it like that before, the creative process like that. And do you feel like that a lot, or was that sort of kind of a, a different moment where you? Oh, I feel like that all the time. I feel like uh, when you're making something, you are in, uh, I don't want to say altered state, because, but it is an altered state. It's, it's as if, now, now it's, oh, it's so interesting for us as photographers because time is everything, right? When you do pinhole, you pull away time, you extend time. The decisive moment is, is a laugh, all right? So when you pull that curtain away, if you think about it like that, you pull that curtain away and you're in the now. When, when there is no time, you, there's just now this moment now. And when you make the image, you're in the now. Even though it took me forever to make the paper and put it in, and that picture was done in a can, uh, the minute I pull away the tape, it's now. Close the tape, it's happened. Okay? So whatever forces go together to, to make that that moment, even even when you paint and you're working, you know you're trying. You you try to always stay in the now, because in the now all the creativity happens in that moment, and and that's what I mean about you. If you spend too much time thinking about something, it's finished. It, that's the thing that's hard for me about painting is it's so much. You, you know, you know, it's not the same now as it is in photography. Photography, the now is perfectly clear. The moment you pull away the piece of tape, that's now. Well, if I look at it now, <laughs> okay, uh, what I'm seeing is the magic of that moment. And that's what I'm talking about. The magic of that moment is, has a life of its own. And everything that went into that was pure, unadulterated, creativity, connection to everything in the universe for me. That's how I feel. I want to thank Amy and I want to thank Marion for taking the time to chat with the FPP. If you're interested in looking at some of Marion's work, you could just Google her. The Google. Marion Roth, M-A-R-I-A-N R-O-T-H at the Google and you'll get some links of some of her work. We'll be right back with more show. What show? If you haven't heard by now, there's a company called New 55, and their goal is to launch a brand new instant 4x5 film. It's called New 55, and they have a Kickstarter campaign. That means they need your help in getting this project off the ground. Here's Matt Marash 
with the details. So uh, what Bob Crowley and uh, some other research assistants have done is they've done all the R&D. They've re- figured out how to remake Type 55 film from scratch. They're calling it New 55. And after years of you know doing some hard work and doing their research, they're asking for $400,000 to get it up off the ground. Um, these guys have put in the time and effort already. Uh, they're just asking for you know what is a reasonable amount of money uh, to get legitimate production started on this film. You can find out more about New 55 at uh, new55project.blogspot.com or new55project.com. Uh, if you go into Google, just type New 55 film. The Kickstarters are going to be the first thing to come up. The Google. If you or anyone you know shoots large format, shoots instant film, or just wants to support the community, you know, the Kickstarter starts at a dollar and goes up as high as you want to give. Uh, so, yeah, check that out. You can also go to our show notes to get a link, a direct link for this Kickstarter for the new 55. It's as trim as a briefcase and as easy to carry as a portable radio. The perfect way to show and enjoy the color slides you took last summer. It's the new Kodak 300 color slide projector. Not only is it the smartest looking projector you can buy, but the Kodak 300 is a pleasure to use with easy to reach controls right here on top and a new ready-matic changer the smoothest and simplest ever designed. Its wide-angle lens shows your slides big and bright in full color in any room, large or small. The new Kodak 300 projector in your choice of two color combinations costs just $64.50 or as little as $6.50 down. It's also available with an automatic magazine-type changer and because it's made by Kodak, you know it's good. Hey, we're back. Hey, Before missed you. We, what's great about these shows, watch show, is uh, packages. This is not Tim's. This is from our good friend Tony Kwong. Hey. Just a small box uh, this time with power shovel, wide and slim camera, a rally bar. Oh, nice. That's oh, chocolate peanut caramel bar discontinued since the late 70s. That's re- right. Reintroduced on a limited basis at Walgreens. A penguin bar. Ooh. It's a UK import chocolate biscuit. The Tim Tam biscuit is based on this. No way. Oh. Give me that. Knickknacks, <laughs> German inco- import double crunch peanuts. Oh, my God. Co- here's my favorite. Coffee crisp, Canadian import wafer bar with cocoa covered in chocolate. And the famous Awake, Awake bar. bar. Oh. Caffeinated chocolate bar. It. Whoa. Really? Let's this get is, these out. That sounds like danger. Hey, John, you hold these. Holy shit. This is the foreign candy podcast oh today. Nikonis Rams. Once again, kudos to Tony Kwong. <laughs> yeah. Tony comes through again. I don't want this. You know what? Yeah, yeah. I'm going to have a coffee crisp. Yeah. So our giveaway camera this month, this is called Power Shovel, wide and slim. But it really is the um, Vivitar ultra-wide and slim camera, which we've sung the praises of in the past. This is a cult camera, a great camera to just have in your pocket. Mm. I mean, I used to walk around with this with uh, Kodachrome 200 in it. Mm -hmm. Great, great shots. With this, because it's a wide 22 millimeter lens, Ooh. so you could do a lot of you know shooting from the from the hip. You know, you could could be all kinds of cool with it. It's a great camera. It's a rare camera. I bet you these cameras go upwards of fifty dollars on Whoa. eBay. Yeah, way. Wow. Yeah. So just go to filmphotographyproject.com, 
forward slash giveaways or right on our uh, right on our website you can uh, see a drop down says giveaways this is the camera of the week you can win it gotta be in it to win it you must be in it to win it and you will thoroughly enjoy if you're a street photography guy or gal you will really enjoy that so let's get right into the show with a letter a letter here you go john Okay, it's from Tom Sullivan. Hey, 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 guys! My name is Tom from Mississippi. I just got into film photography about a month ago, and I'm hooked. I've already bought a Canon EOS Alon Two, mm-hmm. Ricoh KR10 Super, Ricoh. and waiting for Yashica Electra Pro 35G. I have gas. Sure do, Tom. Also today, I received a Time Zero One Step Polaroid Land Camera. It was Christmas. I went out all out and bought a developing kit for black and white bulk loader and film. And I'm about to convert my bathroom into my dark room. Where will you go to the bathroom, dude? <laughs> uh, well, after spending all the dollars, I found myself broke but satisfied. See? Broke but Happy satisfied. But I like that. Yep. At all my new goodies. The only problem is that I have no film for n- my new Polaroid. If you could find it in your heart to send me some film, for I will be forever grateful. By the way, I love the podcast I'm currently on episode 45 after skipping to the newest episode. Thanks a lot and keep the and keep making magic happen. Sadly, we're we're not that well off that we can hand out packs uh, of, packs of uh, impossible, impossible project film. Sadly. Or portable dark Don't you have any so like old stock sitting in the back holding up a uh, yes, air conditioner? Yes, we do. We do, but the the old stock which we've been testing here in the studio it, is it's, not Yeah, it's been it's spent. It's, it's been total it, yeah, shite. It's disappointing if it's your first film. Yeah. Shite. I recommend getting a paper route or maybe a little like uh, <laughs> you know handyman job. This is what I do and I'm serious. Bake sale. Every day when I come home, I get a coin jar. Yep. And I just throw my coins in it. And yep. before you know it, man, I got a hundred bucks. Seriously. Hey, let's do our let's do our film stock of the week. Hey. All right. Film sto- we didn't do any bumpers last night. Film stock of the week. You know, uh, I've been having a ball of time buying uh, large, large reels, one thousand foot, two thousand foot, from Eastman Kodak, the film division, mm-hmm. the motion picture division, and breaking that down so people could shoot it in their still cameras. These are films not designed to be shot in a still camera. And many times, like the high contrast 5363, it's a film designed for, for duplicating, for making titles, for making mats, mm. for doing uh, what, contact printing. These films come into our hands, and we test them, and we've discovered that this film, the 5363 High Contrast Black and White, is a 25 ASA film. You know, when we think we're kings of the world, well, actually, I do. You think you're a big shot. You know, because you, you know, you're shooting a motion picture lab film, and you hey, feel. Me. I'm shooting motion picture film. But then you shoot a whole roll, shoot portraits, and you develop it, and you come up with f <laughs> nothing. Which I did a few nights ago when we all went to another smooth sailor event, and we figured it out. Leslie and I figured it out pretty quick with the help of Matt, of course, discovering that this is a film. The high contrast five three six three that needs daylight and it has something to do with the film itself. So mm-hmm. I shot it with hot lights, known as tungsten lights, yeah. with a yellow filter over the lens. Yeah, you know for skin tones. Yeah, and I wound up with a blank roll of film. Why? How come, Matt? Well, film detective, put on your film detective. <laughs> well, Mike, it sounds like you were cutting off a whole wavelength of light that needed to be there to expose the film. With the yellow filter. With the yellow filter, yeah. Uh-huh. So the yellow filter, also known as a minus blue to most folks, is taking away most of that blue light, which is giving you tone on your image. Which so, is the daylight. Which yeah, is exactly. one of the few little bits of information you can find on that film mm-hmm. huh. is that it's extra blue sensitive. It needs blue light. So the film didn't see my image. Yeah, you would have to add... 
probably four or five more stops of light just for it to get mm-hmm. any tone on there the way you were shooting it. Maybe right. even more because of the filter factor. Yeah. So crazy amounts. Is a filter factor. I happen to hit upon a stupid factor. <laughs> and this is something that is important because we pass it along to people buying the film that the film needs to be shot in daylight or flash or strobes. Yeah. Not in hot lights. Uh, and if I was shooting with daylight, yellow filter, d- don't shoot with the yellow filter. Uh, you, you wouldn't need to. to get, wouldn't need to. to get contrast now, what if you put know. a blue filter on this you added blue? You, I was going to suggest that. Actually, it's probably going to allow you maybe some more gray tones that uh, you're forcing out during developing. Hmm. Yeah, I'm, I'm not too used to working with blue and green filters. They're probably the two least used in I've my black and white filter kit. I'll kill. finish it with the blue and get back with you. Mm-hmm. Oh, there you go. But I just wanted to relay that. I mean, this is a film that's getting a lot of popularity. Go to filmphotographyproject.com. Go to the store and hit, click 35mm film. You'll find this film, Eastman High Contrast 5363. And look at the page because you'll see examples and, you know, some information about, you know, what, how, and how to and not shoot this film if you're interested in shooting something a little different yeah. than your Tri-X Plus X, HP5. Mm-hmm. You know, shoot a, a, a lab film, a motion picture film, and uh, it just gives you kind of a different palette. The images look different. You said they looked chromey. Yeah, and it is an orthochromatic film. It's not a panchromatic film. Right. So. Oh, so yeah, it's not even seeing red in the first place. Yeah, right. you, were, you were hitting it with hot light, so yeah. Mm-hmm. Can I process that using red, uh, a, a junior bulb? I believe in the instructions. You can do a minimal inspection. How are those I, peanuts, man? I'm a girl. I read instructions sometimes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's important to read instructions. You know, it's funny, Mike, though. Mike is not the, the first person to F this kind of thing, folks. Oh, I'm uh, sure. Did it years ago. Yeah, in, uh, in 2013, I was doing some portraits. With uh, with X-ray film, Mike had the hot lights here in the studio. Mm-hmm. I completely forgot about the orthochromatic of the X-ray, and one of the shots I overexposed by a couple of stops, and there was a very faint image on the f- on the final portrait. But yeah, I figured it would have taken about five six extra stops because that's how l- little sensitive it is to the red spectrum that was seeing nothing. Crazy. Hey John, how would you feel yeah. about getting me a soda? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not so good. I'll take a decaf uh, Coke. Yeah? Yeah. The the gold can. Anything else? No, I'll tell you that this awake bar. Yeah, already your legs are flapping. They are. I don't think it's psychosomatic. No, I heard you say it, but I didn't remember. What do you want? Diet Coke with the the gold can? The gold can. can. Anybody else want something on there? I'm good. good. (laughs) When we come back, we're going to be talking about accessorize with accessories. uh, A very... (laughs) <laughs> a very important topic, which I kind of ignored for years. For years, I was shooting without filters, without protection for my lenses. I just like F it. As a matter of fact, I was pulling those things off my lenses. But I don't know. Late 2013, now in 2014, I've been like filtering the heck out of things, probably because I started shooting uh, infrared film. But we'll be right back. We'll talk about that. Hey, this is Michael Rosso, host of the Film Photography Podcast, and a huge thank you to folks out there who have donated to the FPP over the last few months or year. If you love the FPP and really dig the podcast and continued blogs, videos, then please consider donating to the Film Photography Project. And you could do so very easily by either finding a camera, a film camera that works, and consider donating it to the show. Do you have any excess film that you're not shooting? Or if you can make a contribution, 
You can easily do that on the FPP Film Photography Project site and click Donate. Everything that's received is used for the Film Photography Project and its podcast for our monthly giveaways and any monies that are made in the FPP store just fuel the podcast. Let's keep these shoes going. The Film Photography Podcast. It's here for you. Mm, that's right, yeah. Yeah. Thank you very much. It's Mike here with John. The Dark Room is a lab on the West Coast. And these days, because, you know, you're, we're all shooting film, but, you know, the big question is where do I bring my film to get processed? Because mm-hmm. so many local labs have been closing. And even our local CVS, Target stores, Walmarts. It's diminishing. The Dark Room is an option, and they've really stepped up to develop all films. films. 110 film, 126 film, 35 millimeter film, 620 film, 120 film, 4x5 film, 8x10. Wow. One-stop uh, shopping. Black and white, color print C41, color slide E6. E6. Uh, 120, 2035, 4x5, 8x10. The room. It's the They also do testing of awesome films like Lomo, X-Pro, Red Scale, True Black and White, Crossbird, Redbird, oh, Nightbird, oh, hey. uh, Infrared Films. All of us here at the FPP highly recommend you go there. They'll take good care of you. The Dark Room. Dot com. <laughs> Tell them the FPP sent you. Yeah. Hey, we're back. Hey, John. Here's your Coke. Accessorize with accessories. Uh, let's talk about uh, f- uh, filters for color photography, filters for black and white photography. Please mm-hmm. take it away, Leslie. I got a general little kit of filters that I have. And the UV filter, I think that's considered your protection filter mm-hmm. you can leave it on for everything and it's six one way half a dozen the other on that there's a lot of people that put uv filters on and they would bring them in the shop because they've dropped their camera mm-hmm. and i will cut them off with tin snips and the filter thread underneath and the lens is perfect mm-hmm. absolutely and then there's also that look at it as um you're going to put a five dollar piece of glass over your 200 plus piece of glass mm-hmm. and shoot through it. Mm-hmm. So there again, it's six one way, half a dozen the other, and you can buy some excellent brand UV filters, uh, but they're usually not off the shelf. What you get is usually an inexpensive one. So you have to kind of work that out in your mind. Um, some some of my lenses have them on, some of them don't, but then I don't use lens caps either, so that's my fault. But in my, in my general filter kit, I also have a polarizer, and there are circular and linear mm-hmm. polarizers. Mm-hmm. Circulars typically, and you can't mix them because they can fool your exposure or fool your focus. <laughs> Typic- typically, not always the case, but you can break it down. You need a circular for any camera with a beam splitter in it or autofocus. Not always just autofocus because uh, I think Mark Dazelle had a camera recently that had a transparent mirror. Pelex. Oh, yeah. And it's possible that a circular would work better on that than a linear. Now, what does a split. what does a polarizer do? Polarizer reduces glare, mm-hmm. uh, saturates color. Prime goal. I mean, it's fantastic with a red filter and black and white because you can get those velvety black skies. Right. Mm. So, so circular. It's circular. Autofocus, you, you, as you're looking through the lens, you're actually turning turn it. Turn it for the best look. Turn it for the best look. You and remember that's those? Exactly yeah, yeah. how a linear works too. Turn it for the best look mm-hmm. uh, that we don't see, but circular for autofocus, TTL type cameras. Probably need a circular. Linear, older cameras, 
Um, they are less expensive to buy, but you probably shouldn't be using them on your TTLs mm -hmm. or your autofocus or beam splitters. No, no. They will throw your exposure off by stops. Okay. Stops. Stops. So that's general. The UV, the polarizer, general filters. Color black and white, way to go. Do you have to compensate exposure-wise for If you're metering through them, no. No. Now, also, if you're not metering through them, you can hold them over your handheld meter, oh, such okay. as your Gauss and Luna Pro. So if it's over the lens, the camera's compensating, John. Reads right through. Or my new Luxie. Yes, you can actually hold it over <laughs> the top of that. Luxie? So color. I never Luxie. thought, you know, I never the, the thought Luxie. about Luxie. Is that a good idea to do, like, with every filter, even if you're using a red filter? or To, fil to meter filter? through it? Yeah. Always meter through it. That's such a great idea. I can't believe I well, never thought of that. But if it's on the front of your camera yeah. you're already doing right. it so if you have a metered camera if you have a metered camera if not you could be off three stops yeah and that's severe for some yeah, things definitely so yeah. my two favorite probably color filters <laughs> meaning for color film <laughs> is an adb which yes. is a blue filter if i'm shooting in tungsten light with the daylight's ba balanced film okay wait you gotta say that slow okay. again tungsten again. tungsten light Yes. Lights With indoor lights. lights. Right. Indoor lights, uh -huh. hot lights, not pop lights like a flash. Right. Gotcha, check. Constant burning light. Uh, a lot of times are tungsten. Mm -hmm. And your, your images will turn out all yellow. Mm -hmm. You put this ADB blue filter on, and that takes care of it. <laughs> Neutralizes it right out. Now, yes, we can do some of this in post, but I, mm. I'm old school. I grew up doing it with a filter and getting the best possible neg first and then working with it. Mm -hmm. And my secret little secret filter is the 81 A, B, or C. And those are just varying degrees on the strength, 81 B, a slight warming filter. Gives everybody a little bit, of, a little more warmth to the skin. Mm -hmm. Makes grass look a tiny bit greener. Really? Fall stuff looks better, and you just can't place it. But my shots didn't look that good. I know yours just look richer, and it's that magic little eighty-one B filter. It's like blowing my mind because now it's if you like have films. To think about and then filtering those films. Absolutely. Oh my God. John's gonna have it's filter just, gas. He like, is. My brain's gonna fall out. It is. Okay, my little kit for black and white. The the 81B uh, and the 80B really don't apply to black and white. They're no nope. color. Nope, too subtle. Too subtle. Um, With black and white, it's, black and white, it's all about contrast. Contrast. And it starts off with yellow being a good general. Mm hmm. Contrast. You're a yellow yeah. guy, right, Mike? He's a yellow guy. Oh, yeah. Gives a nice little snap to it. It does. It does. It, it, mm -hmm. it pops out like a skin tone a little mm -hmm. bit better. A little it bit just, more? Like, generally speaking, just, I mean, these days I do before I didn't, and I'm glad I do. I'm shooting black and white film, generally speaking. I just put a yellow filter mm -hmm. on it. Exactly. Yeah. Boost it a little yep. more. Orange. Just go up in the strength of it. Amazing, use a red. And if you do a 25A red, you can also use that with infrared film, too. Mm -hmm. So it's multi-purpose. Weren't you talking about uh, Paper Moon being shot in black and white film? Paper, I was. Paper mm -hmm. Moon was shot with a red filter in black and white. And to, an ultra to wide pop lens. it. To right. pop it and give it um, a look that's really, in a sense, vintage. Mm -hmm. More orthochromatic yeah. look like the films we used to have. But, so and you can throw that blue filter on, that ADB, but it's going to lower your contrast. And that's typically not an issue that we're looking for, a muddier look, mm -hmm. like a snappier look. But um, So now are there different, for like a red filter, where mm -hmm. you just get a red filter? 25A. 25? Good what are, Now what are all these numbers, 25, 26? They're Rattan numbers, which Rattan numbers. Uh, Kodak gave them years ago. So you start with 25 yep. for red. Such as and the orange yellow. Is the yellow is an 8. Mm -hmm. Orange is 15 or 12. 
There's uh, 20, So there's not different colors. rat numbers for different colors? Uh, there's different there rat are. numbers for yep. different colors. <sighs> okay. 8, 12, 15. So and they all, they all go in order of their power and their filter effect. Uh-huh. I don't usually get the film sweats about the filters. Like if it's red, it looks deep red. Don't worry Throw about it. On. it. Throw it on. Exactly. Yeah. And enjoy what happens. Mm-hmm. Do you want to go into filter types a little bit briefly? When you say types, what do you mean? Meaning like, what's the difference? Why should I buy a screw-in filter over like a system filter like Koken? Oh my goodness. I think it's worth touching on a screw-in filter and then a Koken system where they're like little pieces of squares. squares. Slide them in for Yeah. Yeah, so if you you stack them. It's a preference, right? You get gas. No. Economics is sometimes. Mm -hmm. You get gas, right? You got all these different lens sizes and you got a 25A filter in a small size. Can't use it on your big lens because it threads in. Mm -hmm. I like to use... The Koken filters, uh, there's also the Lee filters, there's different systems, Ambico used to make them, and they're a square filter that fits mm-hmm. into a holder, so you buy one filter, mm-hmm. one holder, but an adapter ring for each different filter size that you have. Personally, I don't take the time to put the holder on in the ring, mm-hmm. and I hold it in front. Yeah. That's what I do, too. It and hold it in front, yep. in my pocket it goes, and away we go. Yep. And there's varying sizes for Koken and Lee. Quick question. Yes. If you have the filter in your pocket, and you're just holding over it, you know, the lens and it's, it's wintry out and you're using a pocket. Any of that, like, um, uh, dust or, like, uh, tissue paper, like, anything that attaches to, like, does it really matter when you put that over the filter? Any little dust? Any little dust, no. That's not where your focus point is. Your focus right. point's out there. Big old smeary fingerprints. It also depends on the placement of your filter, too, Mike. So there are some um, bigger lenses, mm-hmm. and there, and those lenses have... They'll have it on toward the rear elements. They'll have a filter slot. And the closer you get toward the nodal point, so where the light comes in and before it, it starts pointing down the other way toward your, your imaging plane, mm-hmm. the closer you are to the nodal point, the more any of those little specks start to matter. Right. Mm-hmm. So, cat so, lenses mount from the back, too. Yeah. Right. So it's like a big 500 cat out. So if you're mounting anything to the back of your lens, squeaky clean. Do they make uh, anything to mount to the back of your lens? It's usually a dedicated... The, well, they're usually little slots for gel filters, yes. which were just. Oh, little, I've seen those. Yeah, yeah. Uh, same as the same as the Bolex had it. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah they're, they're, It's yeah. like a little. Yeah, camera. it's like a little square where they drop in. Yeah. A little frame. Oh, the little frames. Oh, them. yeah. Uh, the Canon, the big Canon lenses have the same little frame where you drop the in the lens. Yeah, built into the lens That's where you drop crazy. it in. Yeah. Some yes. Choices that way. Yeah. So if you don't have a square and you're holding it in front of it or putting it into a drop, mm-hmm. a drop holder, uh, it's a screw-in filter. Many of the vintage camera kits that I go through, uh, various donations that come in, it'll be one screw-in filter and what's known as step-up and step-down rings. Mm-hmm. Correct. Step-up, step-down, just fine. So if you have a 49-millimeter lens thread but have a 52-millimeter filter, you could use the screw-in. Step-down. That's called step-down. Step-down. Mm-hmm. From 52 to 49 to fit on your Correct. camera. Lens first, then, or filter you want, first, then. You want the filter to be bigger. Yes, because Always, you may be yeah. putting it yeah. on a wide angle. You don't want to see the edges of it. Right. Yeah, you don't want vignette. Yeah. You know, I don't really get the film sweats too much anymore. When I shot with the uh, yellow filter on my uh, Olympus Trip 35, it was a 49-millimeter lens, but mm-hmm. it was still too big. Mm-hmm. I just taped it on with some white tape. I don't even go that far. Hold just it hold on. it on. I just hold it on. So, essentially, what are the basics for someone to have in their kit that, you know, will just come in handy? If you are a color shooter and you have no intention of black and white... Right. I put a polarizer in there. Personally, for me, 
the 81 A, B, or C. Okay. That's it. We talked about UV protection. What about just mm-hmm. what's known as clear glass? Or clear skylight, mm-hmm. which is even less. Same thing. Right. Same principle. That's just protecting your investments. Yeah. Protecting cheap insurance. Yeah, absolutely. And for black and white photography? Uh, the Roy of Roy G. Biv. Red, or- red orange, yellow. Awesome. And you can go. Um, you can go online. I've done it like last minute because you know sometimes you just become stupid, like late at night yeah. or early in the morning before your brain is awake. Yeah. When you eat all this chocolate, yeah. 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 You type in in Google um, the Google filters for black and white film photography, and there are a few sites that come up with examples, mm-hmm. which are awesome. Mm-hmm. You know, he, you know, I have an old Koken book as well. Fantastic. And it's like this is what it's going to look like. Book. You know, yellow filter, orange filter, red filter, that's and you then want. you just like you know, you give yourself the V eight. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, that's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for this. I'm gonna throw this in my bag, and off I go. There you go. Yeah. So, so that's my that's my accessorized with accessories. Mm-hmm. Filters. Yes, we'll be right back with the, what? I don't know. Okay. More, <laughs> more chocolate. I can assure you that this photograph was not selected for the exhibition. I've never seen that woman before in my life, let alone kissed her. Of course you haven't. The image has been digitally manipulated. You can tell it's digital. The lack of depth, the dodgy skin tones. Look at the shadows on your face compared to hers. Two different light sources, you see. Two separate photos put together on some damn computer. Home movies are getting better than ever. With the new GAF Super 8 movie cameras. They've got professional features like through-the-lens viewing zoom lenses and through-the-lens automatic exposure meters. They let you do things professionals do without all the work professionals do. Hi there again. This is Rick Paul for the Film Photography Podcast. Uh, Today I'm going to do something a little bit different. I'm not going to talk to you about Nikon gear at all. Uh, Instead, I'm going to talk to you about uh, a couple books that I thought everyone on the podcast would be interested in. I do my own uh, film developing and my I have my, my own darkroom and I've learned a lot of what I know about film chemistry and processes from, from these two books. Uh, the first book is a book called The Darkroom Cookbook by Stephen Anchell. This book goes into really everything you need to know to, to set up a darkroom. It has planning the, a darkroom, uh, film developing processes, print developing process, print printing methods, toning and tinting, and more advanced concepts such as as reduction and intensification. The nice thing about this book is it doesn't just explain how to do it, how to do film developing or print developing. It explains to you why. It explains to you all of the whys of things like like agitation and what how agitation affects the process. And then it t- talks to you a lot about chemicals and the chemical processes and the chemical additives. So if you've ever wanted to go past just using D76 for, for film developing and, and, and basic uh, paper developing methods, this book can really help you explain explore other chemicals and other chemical processes to really get the most out of what you're trying to do with the images that, that you're taking. The The second book I have to talk about is really a, a companion book. It's called The Film Developing Cookbook, uh, also by Stephen Anchell, but he was also joined by a colleague, Bill Troop. They wrote this book several years later. Actually, it was written kind of at, at, at the dawn of the digital age. Film was already beginning to wane a little bit, but they really wrote this book um, 
to address good development of TMAX T-grain film. People were really having trouble with TMAX film when it first came out, getting good results from it. So the introduction of the book starts out, uh, the first sentence in it, uh, I think, says it all. It says, it's all because of the little yellow box. So this book covers uh, black and white films that were available at the time of the uh, the writing of the book. Most of the films in there are, are still available. Developer ingredients, developer procedures. It goes into the differences between solvent and non-solvent developers, super fine grain developers, and then after development processes, stops and fixers and washing. Again, not just telling you how, but telling you why and different options you can do for all of these processes. This book is much more of a what I would call a chemistry book than the darkroom cookbook. This really goes into all the chemical additives that go into to different developers and really how to kind of almost make your own developers by by taking a standard developer and then maybe adding adding something to it to get a different effect. But it really explains all the differences and trade-offs in the types of developers. Uh, for example, it explains that as a general rule, solvent developers emphasize fine grain at the expense of sharpness, where non-solvent developers emphasize sharpness at the expense of gr- fine grain. And if even if you're confused about sharpness versus fine grain, the book even goes to detail to explain some of that. So to give you an example of what the book talks about, it it, it goes into solvent developers, which include developers such as D76 and, and Xtol, and uh, non-solvent developers, which include the Crawley formulas of FX1 and FX2, Rodinol, which I think everyone's familiar with, and uh, tanning developers um, such as Pyro and, and PMK. The book points out quite accurately, I think, that it's possible to optimize one developer for one film, but it's not possible to optimize for all films. It's for this reason in my own darkroom, I I don't use one single film developer for all the films I use. I've experimented with the films I like and several different developers, and I've settled on developers I really like with certain films. Um, So I I invite you to explore both of these books. Uh, They're both available from from Amazon.com. They're available in the traditional paperback book form, as well as Kindle versions. I have the Kindle version that way I always carry it around with me on my on my iPad or I even have have them on my iPhone and that about wraps it up so back to you Michael I want to thank Rick for that report and we'll be right back photographs ladies and gents memories of the Costa Buava impress your neighbors oh hang on that's an Olympus trip wait a tick off a mo stone me you're David Bailey aren't you no no I'm sorry I'm not Bailey listen I think you want me Look, chum, I'm talking to the engineer, not the oily rag. Nah, you can't fool me, David, old son. Don't mind if I call you David, do you? Oh, psycho lens, like on the Olympus OM2. Built in like meter. All you have to do is press the shutter. Even you could do that. No, I'd recognise you anywhere, David. I'm a terrific admirer of your work. Terrific pictures. Listen, I'm David Bailey. That's James Hunt. Oh, James Hunt. Who's she? The Olympus trip. So simple, anyone can use it. Hey, we're back. Uh, you know, Matt Mirage is wearing a shirt, and it says, uh, let me get another shot of that shirt. <laughs> Make it sound like he's never wearing a shirt, but today he's wearing a shirt. <laughs> it says, Eastern Sierra Center for Photography. It's a really cool shirt. Yeah. You know, um, tell us about it. Well, just in time for the large format update. So I got the shirt for Christmas last year from the fine folks at the Eastern Sierra C- Center for Photography, ESC4P.org. Um, some great folks there running it, and uh, they're all about promoting 
uh, large format and traditional uh, photographic processes to folks. One of the kind ladies there who start who has revamped the website came on, I think it was the large format forum and some of the Facebook groups for large format and was asking folks for examples of their work. You know, it's uh, just a, a thing to kind of get examples out there and show the different folks. You know, all wide age range of folks that are using the processes and doing a lot of traditional black and white work and using these big goofy cameras. So that's why in the, sh- the shirt here we have someone working with a large format mm-hmm. camera out in the Eastern Sierra. So just kind of cool. And uh, they have some really great work that's featured on there. Every week they have a, a new featured artist. I had to definitely help them out. They're completely donation-based, just like us here at F- yes. FPP. Mm-hmm. They have a lot of great work. Um, they're who I also coordinated with when I did that view camera article late in 2013. Mm-hmm. So they're really kind folks out there. Uh, if you like the work and you like large format, I suggest you go over to their website, ESC4P. Number4p.org. Click the donate button. They have really cool stuff. And like I said, they're completely donor-based. I think right now they're looking for, they're raising funds so they can uh, fund student projects. And they also are going to have a regular touring photographers. So it's like a, an artist-in-residence kind of program where they bring someone out there and they have a darkroom facility cool. they can work with. So they've got a lot of great programs. And Oh, and they also have these really cool t-shirts you can buy. So, oh, yeah. Yeah, I definitely... Are there different varieties or just that one? Uh, it's just the, the plain one right now. But they're those nice Hanes that don't have the yeah. tag. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Tagless. Tagless, oh. yeah. Great for large. You know, we don't need, we don't need extra stuff right. hanging around. But no, that's kind of it for the large format update. Uh, just out there shooting and shooting. It's, it's spring, so yep. infrared Shoot time. it up. Yeah. Oh, yes. Infrared time, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, you need another penguin bar is what uh, you need. I do. Well, thank you, Matt. Yeah, thanks. And Matt, can you stick around a little while? Or you have to hit the road. Oh, I gotta hit the road, guys. Oh, I mean, oh, this guy's always on the. You move. guys loaded me up with all this coffee and a wake <laughs> bar, and now I'm just gonna I'm gonna look like this owl the whole, for eight hours. How's that? Well, that's good. That, that looks pretty angry. I'm gonna get pulled Let's over see. for raging. Angry owl. Yeah. <laughs> raging. Oh my God, he's right. Look how angry he that looks owl pissed. is. Oh, he is. <laughs> He's, an, he's annoyed because he's so awake. Because yeah. he can't sleep. He's <laughs> for four days. He's like, I'm nocturnal. It's a day. Why am I so awake? What's up, so with, what's this? up with this? What's up with this? I'm going to kill that man. penguin. Hey, kill this thanks penguin. for having me, guys. Yeah. How much is this moment worth? A hundred dollars. A thousand. The moments of your life are priceless. Are you saving them on the right film? Kodak Gold. No other film gives you truer, more consistent color, picture after picture. Hey, I just want everyone out there to know that you could write to the Film Photography Podcast, podcast at filmphotographyproject.com. Right, John? Write? Write a letter. Podcast at filmphotographyproject.com. If you want to... Write a letter mm. and send stuff. Yeah, you can. You can send it to Film Photography Podcast, P.O. Box 152, Butler, New Jersey. That's B U T L E R N J 07405, USA. P.O. Box 152, Butler, New Jersey 07405. That's the same address if you want to donate a camera, a film camera that works, or some film to the FPP. Yeah. So send it on in. Send your love, baby. Okay. It's oh, all about yeah. love. Hey, we're back. <laughs> hey, we're back. Matt just uh, he had to he had to take off. Sadly, 
Uh, we're going to go right into our uh, featured camera, a Canon. Canon Flex, am I correct? Canon Flex. Cano Flex. Canon Flex. Whoa, it's heavy. What's the story? What's the story? Story is in 1959. Oh. Canon needed a full frame SLR. And it was Canflex. Mm-hmm. So that was their first SLR, single-lens reflex camera. They called it the uh, Super Chromatic Camera. It takes an R mount, not an FD, not an FL. Is that right? And Why is this viewfinder so dark? It's um, old. <laughs> oh, and it's probably stopped down, too. Yeah, I was going to say, where's there's, the, where's the aperture It's, it's interesting. On that lens, there's two rows of apertures. Yeah, One's viewing, one is shooting. Are you kidding me? No. Why? Go ahead and advance the film. Why, why for it? Who do stole that? it? Yeah, Who stole my it? advance? Oh, there it is on the bottom. There it is on the bottom. Tricky. Hold that mofo up. Look, it's got a little thing. One, two, three. It just sounds like it was, it was actually a really a very nice system camera in its uh, original forms. I think this is the last one. This was kind of a little lower-end consumer model. They had interchangeable metering. Pentaprisms. 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 Yeah. It's not the same lens mount as the FD or FL. No, I was disappointed to hear that. You can use this lens, though, on more modern cameras with some success. The thing that's... It, it's just it's an odd camera. I thought, when I first it saw this, odd. I thought, you've got two rows of F-stops on here. One's viewing and one's shooting. Right. So you tick one down and you check your depth of field. Mm. It's a depth of field preview. Oh, it's essentially a bit on your... Yeah. One is just a preview. One is a preview. But these are features that were cast out. No, actually, later they, they were incorporated into the bodies of the cameras. Right. right. Your depth of field preview simply stopped your lens down. Right. It's got that same breech lock, which they used right through to the very end. That was successful for them. Metering system was not built in. Everything's really clean on the top. Big dials, the whole bit. Metering, you could buy a separate meter. Fit right in. Oh. The oddest thing, though, was the bottom advance. Yeah. yeah I've never it? seen that before. And that was that's the whole Canon Flex feature. I guess it's faster to advance that way, no? And they thought it was very much faster, but it never it never caught on be- beyond this. And they figured, because everybody at the time, everybody at the time was trying to compete with the Nikon F. Right. That was it. So any article you see on it, everybody's always, well, it does this or it doesn't do this. And they also did not make a wide-angle lens for this. For shame. Isn't that weird? This seems Very like an odd so. ball. And, and odd man out. Odd man out. I guess they smartened up then came out with the FL line of lenses. Exactly. And the whole FT series. Yes. Exactly. Now, this so, is a predecessor to the Pelex, which we featured a few yes, months ago. Yes, it is. Mm-hmm. Predecessor to it. Exactly. You, know, you can't put a winder on this. You couldn't change focusing screens in it. And these were all things for How about a cold shoe to hold the flash? Now, you have to bracket. Every lens. I not only have two lenses, a 50 and a rather rare uh, zoom for it. Um, both of them always feel like they're yeah, loose. Huh? Listen to that. It's rattling it, around. It's rattling around. But, and only two Two lenses were automatic. The rest were full manual type mm-hmm. lenses. So, of course, the 50 was, and they had probably what was a very sweet 100 F2. Sweet, sweet, sweet. But I, I, you know, I picked this thing up. This, I'm afraid, this is another camera that came out of a DMD, and which is Dead Man's Darkroom. Um, the whole thing, I believe, was ended in about 1960. The end of this series made about 31,000 of these. It's not. Did you say from pre- 59 to 60? Yeah. That's it, huh? 59. Oh, this is 
when the, this was introduced in 1960. I'd have to see, I guess, when the FTL series started. So mm, oh, 64. This, okay. Oh, did it really? The Pelex was before, like 62, okay. 63. So this didn't have a long life, the no. Canonflex. Hmm. Um, <laughs> Let's get to the uh, Don Cheech award. Don Cheech. Have you shot with this camera? I have not because the shutter in this is incredibly sluggish. So everything's right? like a 15th of a second. So I, I can't. I'm not sure if I'm going to keep it. I might unload it. For, I don't know what I'm going to do with this yet. You throw it at Mark Galzell's <clears throat> head. See how slow. This does yeah. seem like a camera that Mark would cherish because yeah. it's so odd. Oh, Next it seems. Is it 1,000 down oh. to B? So uh, like, let's see. Let's hear sixtieth of a second. Mm-hmm. It's not bad today. Oops. Oh. This locked up. Locked up. Yeah. So now I have oh. to go in and internally unlock it. So that's that's the Canon Flex. The original Canon Flexes are actually rare. Yeah. Uh, expensive to buy. This arm out, I I did not know existed. I'm I'm not a huge historian with Canon, mm-hmm. and it's kind of nice to see an old Canon logo even yeah, on the right? top of that. That's very stylish. It's very stylish. It's very plain and stylish. And I'll uh, I'll do a porn shot of this and and put it on my Flickr page eventually. Okay. But, yeah. Um, <laughs> this one's this one's pretty beat up. Um, yeah, it's got a couple. In of fact, things. the original fifty that came with it was in two pieces. Oh, yeah. so I did replace it. I don't know why, because oh, the camera's yeah. not usable. But yeah. just you know, for the viewer's pleasure out there in FPP land. But that's the uh, the Canaflex. Well, thank you very much, Leslie. Sure. We'll be right back with more show. Hey guys. Hey, what's going hey, on, Mike? Hey. You know, uh, Leslie, uh, you came up with this word, and I think it's true. The FPP is somewhat of a film boutique these days. <laughs> it is a boutique, otherwise known <laughs> as a boutique in Ohio. <laughs> and it kind of just happened by chance. I started getting very interested in unusual 35mm film, film that's not available in cartridges, film that's only available on bulk big reels, which there is sort of like, a, you know, there's a buzz on the internet, there's a circle on the internet of uh, men and women who roll their own film. I have to tell you, like me, most people don't. Till now. Well, till... <laughs> I mean, most people don't. I did, and I was scared of the whole process. Mm. But I've conquered that. I've mastered the art of rolling film into cartridges, <laughs> so you can play them in your, <laughs> your 35-millimeter camera. Yeah. You can feed your camera. It's yeah, you can feed your camera. And that opens up a whole new world, the Film Photography Podcast Store, which is filmphotographystore.com in 35-millimeter. If you click on 35-millimeter, you'll see an unusual variety of films that we are hand-rolling, and it's pretty cool. There are some amazing stocks out there for film stock. Stocks that will, like... <laughs> Blow your mind. Something like the Fuji It, which is I T N. It's a cop another copy film. It's C forty one. I believe it has an ISO of twenty. I think it's unique that you can get black and white film that's green. Oh, the black and, and white black film, and white that's, film green. that's red. Yeah, some some of the films have an unusual U to them. Some are very thin, uh, like the Polypan F. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a silky smooth, dreamy mm, black and white film from Germany. And use when you it and get it, a glow. Yeah, you get, get your glow on. You do. So if you're shooting a subject or a building and there's a a good key light you'll get like a glow as of late the newest is of course uh, exploring the Eastman Kodak motion picture line of films Mm -hmm. like the Eastman double X double Double X. X Extra bold. And this is an awesome film because it's rich and it's bold. Large tonal range. Large tonal range. Processing is uh, standard. Hi, John. Hi, what are we talking about? Uh, FPP store. Oh, Project Double X.org. Oh, Project Double X. Project hyphen double hyphen X.org. 
If you double hyphen. If you Google yeah. Eastman double X five two two two, you will get the site. This is a very it's, it's a very elaborate. Yes, the Google. It's a very well His, thought history out history about developing data formulas, examples, resources, suppliers. This <laughs> is one of the exciting films in the uh, hand rolled FPP film Boutique. What are you saying, <laughs> Boutique? What is that? Really? Boutique. Uh. Folks out there listening, we ship internationally. I would love to ship you some some fresh, unusual film uh, for you to try in your 35mm camera. Mm-hmm. We're here to support you and help you out. So if you have any questions about it, we're going to do our best. Color, we can send right over to our good friends at thedarkroom.com. Thanks, and filmphotographystore.com. Now, photography enters the computer age with the revolutionary new Canon T70. Computer program to give you all the answers with total push-button control. Auto-loading, auto-wind-on, auto-wind-off. That's the incredible Canon T70. So advanced, it's got to be simple. Canon Formula One cameras. Hey, we're back. You know, I love listener letters, and you can write to us at podcast if... You can, <laughs> Man, that's some chair. You can write to us at podcast at filmphotographyproject.com. Here's an here's a email from Hero. Who? Hero. How do you say that? How do you spell that? Spelled. Hero. How you spell it? Oh, it's a J-A-I-R-O. All right, read it away. Yeah, great podcast. Always motivating us, the listeners, to keep shooting and been... What are you doing? I'm adjusting your mic. <laughs> He's giving you a mic. I thought he was going to smack me in the head with it. To keep shooting and been in contact with film photography and its community. I have a petition for help. Help me. Yesterday I was given by my uncle <clears throat> my first Polaroid One Step 600. Oh, nice. After a year of waiting for the camera, it was finally given to me. With a self-timer. There are two points. First, I don't know how to put the self-timer on the camera. The timer is a Polaroid 2326 self-timer, and I really don't know if that timer fits this camera. Mike's shaking his head. I, I, re- I think I already responded. Okay. okay. Yeah. It's, um, he has a Polaroid SX70 timer that does not uh, fit a Polaroid 600 t- uh, camera. Uh, he said that this timer was used with this camera. His uncle told him that, but I'm not sure if Uncle's that's right. a liar. His wife was the one who used the camera, and she's marked. So, oh. Call me lazy, but it looked. But I looked on the web and didn't find instructions for the self-timer for the camera. Just the 1,000. Okay, we've enlightened him. Second, I would like to test the camera. How can I do this? By using an empty pack? I don't have 600 packs with me, and I wouldn't like to spend 25-plus in a pack to find out the camera doesn't work. Yep, we We're talked on about a few shows here. ago. Yes. Uh, so, can I stop? No, no, no. Oh. no. I'm just a non-working college student in the middle of the holidays. Uh, I don't know if these empty packs can be bought at the internet or donated. Did a quick search, but found nothing. Thanks for your help and dedicating day after day. Yes. Preparing for the FPP. Excellent. Uh, We talked about this a few shows ago, and um, bottom line is, you know, uh, if you're going to get into Polaroid photography, you really do need to make that investment and be prepared. To lose that pack. Well, you don't have to lose the pack. You could just... If the camera's not working, you, t- you save the black card and you go into a dark room, take mm. the pack out, put that black card back into the oh. uh, pack, and then get another camera. Polaroid 600, I'm guessing the camera's going to be okay because Polaroid 600 cameras are newer. Yeah, they're newer. SX70 camera, I think, might be a little tougher. Um, uh, Leslie, did I cover it all? You covered it all. Yeah. Uh, you know, though, occasionally, and I, I don't know if this is worth the investment or not, 
occasionally there are people that sell empty packs with good batteries mm-hmm. on the bay. Really? Yeah. I, I thought, oh, boy, they're reaching for it there. But well, Dan could buy those up and put them in his uh, radio, his Polaroid radio. Sure. Oh, absolutely. Oh, yes, little, absolutely. little blue one. So yeah. that's, that's a scoop on mm. that. Uh, Kevin Maloney says, how to pronounce your name? Maloney, Maloney. like Maloney. Like, like that familiar lunch meat. Bologna. I recently came across the podcast while hunting for something to listen to during long darkroom hours. I spend as a relief from my digital professional photography world and my academic life. I'm a longtime photojournalist and photojournalism instructor, and a few years ago I found myself needing the process of analog photography back in my life. The podcast is often a gas... And I enjoy all the enthusiasm for my long-practiced craft. Keep them coming and keep the store flowing with those interesting film stocks. Yeah, baby. From Kevin Maloney, he's Professor Kev, P-E-R-F-E-S-S-E-R-K-E-V on APUG and the Rangefinder form. And he is Karyocake, V-C-A-R-I-O-C-A-K-E-V on the large format photography dot info. If you guys out there, guys and girls, want to check out Kevin's stuff. He's also KevinMaloney.com. Hey. Thank you, Kevin. I appreciate you writing in. (laughs) This is from Harry Jess. He says, hey, Michael. Hey, Justin. Today today I got... FPP store. Oh, you've seen it. Oh, oh. Uh, folks out there oh, listening. I forgot about Justin. How horrible. Today I got my land camera 420 after waiting in suspension. After waiting in suspense <laughs> during the Christmas season. After two eBay failures. A lot, a lot of people buying their land cameras on eBay for not cheap prices. Get an F. Because every eBay seller says shutter works when in fact it's a corroded battery compartment and that one click is meaningless. Mm. You need the two click. He says, after two eBay failures, I was excited when I opened the cover, pulled the camera out, no yanking, no violence, cocked the shutter, pressing the button, and there was the magic double click. Thank you very much for a beautiful vintage camera, pack films, and nice stickers. I also highly appreciated your customs info. I'm very glad I found you on YouTube. Yes, a lot of people find us on YouTube. Quite impressive. When I was searching for information on land cameras, looking forward to showing this wonder to my children and grandchildren. Have a happy year in 2014. Uh, best wishes, Harry Jess. Another happy customer. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, you know, all the cameras in the FPP store, filmphotographystore.com, are, are tested mm-hmm. and guaranteed. Do you ever get letters of people that are angry? Like, I don't like this camera. No. That's good. No. I'm trying to think of uh, any disappoint, uh, disappointing letters. No. No, everyone's really nice. Customers are really nice because I think they kind of understand the site. Mm-hmm. And you know they they are highly anticipate getting the uh, whatever they're ordering, and if there's a problem, they just send an email and it's taken yeah. care of immediately. Yeah. It's done. Yeah, yeah, you're on the ball. We are totally on the ball. Here's a letter from Jamie Wilson, which you can read, John. Jamie Wilson. Hi, I just seen your link from a friend's sharing of your podcast on Facebook, and I'm quite amazed at your podcast. I found the pod very informative and thoroughly enjoyable. I enjoy photography on a small scale as I am at college in Glasgow. Oh, in Glasgow, are you? Studying it. <laughs> we mostly use digital, but we will be using the dark later. Sorry. On this, uh, later on this year, and it will be very thrilling to be looking forward to that. I have subscribed <laughs> to your podcast, and I'm looking forward to more great podcasts when they are released. Thanks. Thanks, Jamie. 
Mm-hmm. And have fun, man. Forgive us in advance for John's accent. Oh, come on. That's good. <laughs> Leslie, have we talked about this gosh darn it Olympus FTL yet? We have not. Let's take a quick break and we come back. The Olympus FTL. <laughs> hey, it's Mike here. I'm here in, in the FPP store with Matt, Lauren, and Leslie. Hey. hey. Here to talk about Kodak Film. I want everyone to go to the filmphotographystore.com. That's our store to pick up a roll of Kodak Film. Why, Matt? Hey, well, because we have some of the best prices on the web. Bar That's no. right. We have extremely fast shipping. Super fast. Yes. Speed of light. <laughs> I think people are very happy because our FPP, our very technological, in-computer shipper, works directly with the U.S. Postal Service. So the shipping price is the actual weight of the product. When people buy a roll of film, they're like, like, $12. They're like, great, it's a $2 roll of film. But yeah, it's, now it's $15 after shipping. <laughs> Everything in the store is in stock. We now have the best prices on the web for Kodak Ektar, Kodak Portra 160, Portra 400, T-Max, Tri-X. Forget about the superstores online. Superstores. You can get beautiful, fresh, is that fresh? Kodak Film directly from filmphotographyproject.com. Click the store button. Lightning fast. So fresh it should be slapped. Exactly. I was going to say so fresh that it will give a strudel mouth. Fresh mouth. <laughs> What's so great about buying from the film photography store? I will tell you. It supports this show. What show? The Film Photography Project. That's right. We are passing along the best price to you. Filmphotographystore.com. Kodak Film. Thank you very much. Thank you, love. Hey, we're back. You know, when I think of FT, I think of Canon. Canon FT, Canon FTB. But I don't think of FTL by Olympus. You don't. What is it? Well, you know, I I put a little piece of tape over the Olympus name, and I I was going to have everyone, what is this camera? What is this? Who made this camera? I was going to say Canon. Canon. This looks like an old Minolta SRT 101. No. Uh, Leslie pulled the tape off, and, and the I, letters came off. No, yes. really? Yeah, I have oh, them. They're here. Sick. Everyone knows the fame of the Olympus pen camera. Mm-hmm. We love our pens, those half-frame wonderful cameras. And everyone knows, not everyone, but if you're at all Olympus fan, you know the Olympus OM series. Mm-hmm. OM1, 2, 3, 4, the OMF, the OMG, they just go on and on. But in 1971, right before the infamous Photokina, Mm-hmm. The pens were gone. Half, <laughs> no. half frames are out. Olympus has got nothing to show. Mm. Uh, OOMs have been in the back room for six years. Oh, my God. It is not ready to come out. OMG. OMG. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Out comes this Olympus FTL. What year is it? 71 we're this talking? 71. New kid on the block in New kid on the block and a young kid on the block because this lasted exactly seven months. Oh, my. <laughs> And it it does not look like an Olympus. It's very square. Uh, Olympus rewinds from the face of the camera. This has a button you push up on the bottom. Mm-hmm. Hmm. This has um, an on and off switch. It uses the classic donut on a stick metering, plus and minus. Get the stick in the middle of the donut, mm-hmm. and there you go. And, One of my favorite and games. Nobody will admit. Admit the truth about this camera. What the truth? They will what not. What is the truth? And they said, <laughs> You can't handle the truth. We did not design it. I do not know who designed it, but we made it. That's... We manufactured those cameras, and we manufactured those lenses ourselves. 
Lies. All lies. But we, we don't, don't know, know how it got to the marketplace. Because then they do a new interview with the same guy, which is now deceased, says, actually, we bought this design from another company to fill a production va- uh, vacuum between the pens and the OMs. Mm-hmm. That's true. The truth comes out. But they use something rather ingenious. It's a 42 thread, mm-hmm. practica mount, like screw that. mount, universal mount, but it's locking. Mm. There's oh. extra pins in here. So These you were can't automatic. Use... You could TTL this. You can use this on any. Uh, there's been a contacts camera, I think, like a VE2. Mm-hmm. Has a little problem with that, but for the most part, you can switch these out. And in a way, that was a little bit of um, Olympus's thinking. There is a, a mass production of lenses mm-hmm. out there. They made a, a fine selection. I and this is what you don't get with a screw mount. That it locks in. That's something else. It is locked in. Uh, the 51.4 that came with mine uh, is stepless. There are no clicks on yeah, the f-stop, huh? so it's easy to get that 3.5. Yeah. So the lens even actually is a mystery. I, I do think that's Zuiko glass. They are tremendously sharp. Have you shot with this camera? I have. You have? Um, might have even been a 53.63 test out of okay. this. Very short production, and it's it, it, today I almost think it would collapse a business because you go in there after the pens and you go into a shop and saying, I heard Olympus has got a new full-frame SLR. Yes, we do, and here it is. I mean, they did a production about this. It has its own design, its logo, literature, everything. I'll, like, I'll take one of those FTLs. Thank you very much. How did they do? Seven months. How does it do in seven months? Wow. Well, well. You know, by the time photo magazines get out and that type of thing. Yeah, it's so you go gone. back in and eight months and you say, I'd like to have um, a, a lens for my camera. <laughs> Oh, oh um, so you know, um, <laughs> see, we're not making that anymore. Right. Now, we do have these new OMs, and I think you're really going to like this. What, OM? Wouldn't that hawk you, hawk OM1? You off? Yeah, it sure would. Yes, the OM1. What year did that come out, OM1? 72. 71. What did they offer trade ins? I don't know that they did that. That but would be a good idea. It yeah. would have been a good idea, but... I don't think the, um, the marketplace was that sophisticated it's, at that It's point. really the forgotten. I have to tell you, for 71, this looks like an older... Can- it doesn't look like a 71. No, it's it's quite a mystery. It it's is, jerky. Um, it's a nice viewfinder, though. There. <laughs> it fired up, because there is film in it. Oh, there is? <laughs> it's 5363, but that's okay. Oh, the viewfinder is beautiful. Yeah, it is nice. I lucked that one out for under oh, 200 really nice. with a buy it now, because they bring really some nice. bucks. But it's a short run. It's the Forgotten Olympus. Uh, I personally, for me, think it's one of kind of my little highlights of my collection. And it functions beautifully. I have an M1, mm-hmm. also a short run, with a funny little history. doesn't work. Ah. This one is lovely. And still, no one is letting out. Who made this camera? Or who designed it? Who do you think uh, made the camera? You know, I'm not. I'm not positive. I really am not. They didn't fire up for this camera. They didn't fire machinery up for this camera. Right. Uh, it's not uncommon. But this is our specs. Now, I don't even think they spec this out. Make that. We're going to run some lenses. Put them in our barrels, and that's that's great. It, could Canon have made that camera? Canon could have made this camera. Wow. That that FTL full TL through the lens. So I don't know what it stands for. Meter's very accurate in this. Mm-hmm. It really is. It's it's a slick little camera to use. Pretty heavy, mm-hmm. but like I say, it's one of them that I I'm really pleased to have. And and actually, for me, being an Olympus person for all these years, just recently discovered that this was even made. So is that right? It is. Mm-hmm. How did you discover it? Mm, maybe through Flickr. Okay. Yeah. That must have been amazing as an Olympus fan to all of a sudden see a camera you never saw before. Kind of like the Canaflex. Did you gasp? Yeah. Do you want to... 
gasp. Oh, my. Like, oh, exactly. OMG. I got to get one. I gotta, OMG. Oh, oh, that's the whole point. I got to get one. Yeah. It's because it's barely hit magazine. Is this eBay fine for you? That was an eBay. Mine came from Singapore. Okay. Uh, it was shipped here quicker than I could ship something across the United States, oh, which is typical. Mm-hmm. And an absolutely just stunning condition. I'd like to have the original Olympus lens cap for this, but that's yeah, another day. Well, very so, nice. Yeah. Please go to the show notes. What show? And you can see some images from this camera, a nice beauty shot of the camera. Mm-hmm. And if you'd like to get one, I guess you can go to eBay yourself and, and search one out if you want to be a completist. Or if you're in Singapore, right? check out a couple of flea markets. And Absolutely. And um, we come back. We're going to be uh, featuring our segment, What Were They Thinking? What about butter or no butter? Oh, we'll do oh. that, too. This is the view from Olympus. Olympus OM2. Top of the line. Top of a new world of single-lens reflexes. Hold it. Focus and fire it. State-of-the-art. Total sophistication of electronics. Total simplicity of use. Camera of professionals. Of people who take no less than excellence. Take no pictures less than great. Olympus OM2. Excellence by design. Hey, we're back. Well, okay, John wants to do a segment. Butter or no butter? You have to come up with the... Uh... What do you put butter on? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's different. Oh. I was just going to say, I've seen people do this, and I'm wondering if there's any freaks in here that would do it. Freaks. Oh, hot, why did you look at me? Hot apple pie. Oh. Uh, for me, no butter. Thank you. No butter. Whipped cream, but no butter. Okay. My uh, aunt you know, and her do... family would put... Butter on their apple pie. Uh, how about how about um, cheddar cheese? Ugh. A lot of people put cheddar cheese. That's gross. And then deep fry it. Oh my god! <laughs> Only at the county fair. So we're back. Hey, we're back. What were they thinking? What were they thinking? Kodak Daylight Film Loading tank. Processing Tank. Mm-hmm. Gosh, it sounds like a good idea. It's it, not. It's yes. not. This this whole thing. This was great. This was a tank that you put your entire roll of film in. Uh, once you started turning the dials, it threaded the film onto the reel. Theoretically? Theoretically. Okay. Uh, you know, chemistry goes in, goes out, and you don't have to have a dark room. So what's wrong, what's wrong with that? I'm it's a great idea. This, you know, Sounds like a fantastic idea. I have processed a few rolls of film in my day. I have loaded numerous types of systems. And I got to tell you... I gotta tell you. Look at this. Oh now, my. see, you put this in here, and when you put it in, there's a blade in here that cuts this so that the metal can is not in here. Check that out. Yeah, that's not good. This is how this always loads. It's all crimped. It's all crimped. It never goes in here. What the crimp? I have tried in daylight to load this. So you're supposed I mean, to do that. That would be sealed. This would be all sealed. There's the cutter in here. See the cutter? Mm-hmm. So when you put it in, it cuts the can off and everything. And are you sure? And how do you know that you didn't get a bum one? Oh, I don't know that, but oh, okay. you know, it looks brand. I mean, it's in the box. Yeah, it's, it's new. Um, loading and processing in full daylight. Film threads automatically on the developing reel. Processing solutions pour freely in and out. I have the manual. I followed it to a T. You agitate your film mm. right through the. You know, I mean, right, the tank. right. And of course, it's sturdy molded material. Yeah. AKA plastic. But I never. Successfully, got. Is that your your uh, roll of film in there? That is my roll of film in there. It just never spooled on, which I assume probably is why I see this brand new. Oh, okay. It just didn't work. Mm-hmm. Just did not work. Bum. I mean, it's solid, solid plastic, metal design, cutting blade. 
there's going to be an angle that you're going to get that just shows. How did you realize it wasn't taking up properly after well, I, you developed I, something? No, I, I never before got, you even developed. Before I even developed, I never got that far. I thought, look at that ripple mm. in there. Yeah, that just three tracks wide. Now, this based upon the so, box. Are we talking early to mid '60s? Hmm. Before zip codes. Okay. Eastman Kodak, Rochester, four, New York. Maybe really? a little earlier. Yeah. Thirties. No, 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 no. no. 50s. Rochester, 50s. four. Very well illustrated in the instruction manual. This thing just doesn't work. This is the most aggravating thing I've seen in a long time. Right. You know, what were they thinking? What were they thinking? So, folks out there. Uh, don't buy one on eBay. Don't buy one. Because, hey, I can get one of those. are new. Or if you have one and you've had success, um, let us know. Let us know. And I don't know if we're going to get any letters. But po- podcast at filmphotographyproject.com if you oh. have any experience with something like a Kodak Dayload Tank. Yep. Here's a letter for you, John. Here's a letter. Hey. Oh, why do I get all the uh, tones? Look, look who's from. Go ahead. Michael Nesmith. <laughs> Joe Passerati, a.k.a. Hey. Joe Paz. Hey, Joe Paz. Hey, Joe Paz. How you doing? I've been a photographer, field sound recordist for the CBC, Canadian Broadcasting Corporation, for over 32 years. Mm-hmm. Wow. I've had the absolute privilege to travel the world twice over working on documentaries, current affairs, and sports. From war zones including Afghanistan to the takedown of bin Laden in Pakistan wow. to freeing the elephants from Bob Barker in California and traveling with my pal Mia Farrow in Africa. And Darfur. Wow. I like to talk to Mia Farrow. Would you? Definitely. What was it like being with the woodman? <laughs> I wanted to write and tell you guys that I'm enjoying your podcasts and videos. I just recently purchased a Polaroid Land Camera 420 from you guys, and I'm excited about its arrival. I've been shooting Polaroids since 71 at the age of 10 when my parents gave me a super swinger <laughs> Polaroid camera. In the late 90s, I started carrying a Spectra AF. With me on locations around the world, shooting scenes, behind-the-scenes crews, postcard-type photos. Of course, I saved them all, and I recently pulled them out and went through the hundreds of images to see what and where I shot. Wow, that's cool. Uh, I was pleased to find out about The Impossible Project and have purchased some film and have been doing tests. Nothing compares with the amazing color of the focus I got from the original Spectra AF and Mm -hmm. other Polaroid cameras. I'm not going to poo-poo Impossible, but they need to work on their color issues. They have. They have. Yeah, well, process time. But on the same hand, I'm very thankful to them. I hope they fix the light sensitivity issues. Have. And they have. I find the frog tongue and I find the frog tongue and getting the image into my pocket in the first two seconds more than frustrating. Mm -hmm. I've said on that. Uh, I found shooting with the Fuji FP100C and 3000B to be most reliable in many aspects when it comes to the Polaroid photography. Reason number one. Number one. You still get the results in 90 where the Impossible Project is hours upon hours, which in fact defeats the process of instant photography. Well, it's it's about 40 minutes. Yeah. Yeah, Well, now it is. 30 if you tuck it. Reason number, <laughs> reason number two. Number two. Fuji color is 100% superior to impossible color film. It's different. It's, it's different. different. It'll get there. It's different. Yeah. yeah. I found a big shot mm-hmm. at the thrift store for 10 bucks, oh. but the shutter release sticks now and then, and this tends to shake the camera, resulting in a blurred shot. Oh. Unusable. I might just purchase one from you guys, knowing you've tested them and the shutter works. You should do that. Uh, FYI, it's great having your podcast on hand during the many long flights I endure on assignments. Just recently spent hours watching and listening on a long haul across the Pacific. Mm -hmm. Wow, some people have such cool lives. 
to do. <sighs> Keep up the great work and hope to hear back from you. And if you ever need a guest on your show, hey, I'd be more than happy to help out. I'm based in Toronto, but I'm in New York City, London quite often. Both right. assignments and pleasure. Anybody yeah. with $500 can be a guest. Dude, right. Get in touch with us. <laughs> get in touch with us. Cheers and thanks again for the great websites. website. Storm Podcast. Who's uh, it from? He Joe says, Paz. He says, feel free to post images I sent. All no right. worries. Uh, I attached a couple of images from the Spectra. I also noticed I shot the World Trade Center from the ferry en route to Lady Liberty in August 2001. Th- that's like the month before they went down. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I might just have the last Polaroid of the World Trade Center. You never know. Might. Joe Passerati. Thank you, Joe. Hey, dude. Thanks. Yeah. Neat. Hey, let us know. Call the FPP hotline and leave a message when you're in New York City. Hotline. What's, what's the hotline number? Call in the... When we come back, we're going to be taking a step back into time. <gasps> Oldies but goodies. Hey, daddy-o. We're going to be talking about the Spartus Press Flash right after this. From Ansco, this year's big news in low-priced cameras. Now, every Ansco cadet camera comes with an unconditional one-year guarantee. If for any reason... Even for accidental damage, your cadet fails to work properly. Ansco will replace it for just a few pennies postage and handling. Ansco quality makes this guarantee possible. And that's why only Ansco dares make this offer. No wonder camera fans are excited about these Ansco cadet cameras and camera outfits. Truly great values from $5.95 to $15.95. And here's more exciting news. Right now, with this free coupon, you can save 75 cents off dealer price on this Ansco Reflex Cadet outfit. Save 50 cents on the Ansco Cadet and Cadet Flash outfits. Get your free coupon today at your Ansco dealers. Hurry, offer is limited. Ansco Cadet Camera Outfits. If it comes from Ansco, you know it's A+. Hey, we're back. Uh, in front of us, we have uh, an unusual camera. Uh, I've never seen anything like it before. A uh, very 1930s, late 30s, early 40s looking, based upon the design. What was that design called? Art Deco. Art Deco. Oh. You know art. Yes. A Spartus press flash camera. A Spartus of Chicago, Illinois, made in the USA <clears throat> with an unusually large bulb. It looks like it has a spot for battery. There's double A's in there. There. Take, the that's that. amazing. Take it away. It's in Wait, such great condition. So this, this is part of the problem. When that's you, awesome. When you get these old photo magazines in the back with the ads, you see these like great cameras. Oh, no. It's a prehistoric <laughs> tube. Yeah, it looks a little bit like it. It's a prehistoric tube. Uh, okay, so... Uh, but anyway, this is... A, Camera. The reason I have it is simply because it has a little bit of historic importance. Yeah. Not because it's anything super special. It looks like a little miner's light, I yeah, think. Right? Or a lunchbox. Or a lunchbox. Called the uh, Spartus Press Flash, the Falcon Press Flash, the Gottler Press Flash, the Regal Flash Master. This thing was made from 39 to 1950. Wow. And it's a box camera. It's a good run. But... What is historically important, it was advertised as the first camera with a built-in flash. I bet. Now, the trouble is it's the first camera with a built-in flash reflector. Oh. So you have to use the old Edison-type bulbs. Screw it. Um, is it like a little light bulb? Oh! It's the number 40s or number zeros. It has a screw base on it God. on the bulb, but not in the camera. This camera is a design disaster. So what the heck? 
You just push it in. Oh, for real? And it snaps in? Look at that. Snaps oh, in. but that bulb you could put into a regular lamp and then, like, surprise I your friends. You yeah. could because that's a standard <laughs> screw base, the Edison base. What if you sneak into a friend's house when they're not home and replace <laughs> every bulb at their house with a flash bulb? Kids used to come into the retail shop I worked at, and they bought these bulbs, and I knew <laughs> exactly what they were doing with them. Don't that exact thing? Away, they come in and flip that switch, and they are blind. Like, I'm home. <laughs> oh, my God. This <laughs> is like major lightning bolt. So before this and after this, there were separate flash units. Wow. Of course, you had to either have the matching pin system. Mm-hmm. No, whatever. that's handy dandy. Oh, that's handy, really handy dandy. But what's a wreck about this thing? A wreck. Oh. You know what? I say that, but it is incredibly fun to use. Mm-hmm. This does take 120. Oh, it does. Not even 620. So 120, big 6 by 9 negatives. Really? And there are, there's two tubes on the side. Tubes! The one has a big screw in the front. And this takes a double A or a pen light battery. But they don't fit in. You have to take Get out the, of here. You have to take the paper off of them. Well, what do you mean? Well, they used to be paper wrap. Pen light ba- uh, batteries used to be paper wrap. Oh. So you had to make them a little slimmer. And they don't connect front and back. The contact is in here and front. So the battery that goes in the back, you've got to give it a whack with a hammer. Okay, so modern day double A's. Yeah, modern day double A's, you've got to peel them to get them in there. And as you see, I've got one stuck But you can't in there. really peel double A's these you days. You can. You're peeling that plastic. That's ridiculous. You need to buy the cheapest <laughs> possible battery you can find. What were they thinking? What were they thinking? Uh, of course, the other side, then the tube on the other side, is the um, viewfinder. Viewfinder. Which, and I. It's parallax. Got this. Off of the bay, because I wanted one. And months later, I got a box of camera gear that had the original manual for this in it. Oh, really? Which was freaky weird. Anyway, the the viewfinder, of course, is off. It gives you more than it indicates, which is fine. But uh, the instruction manual told you how to put the batteries in and how to get them out, which amounted to, as I'm going to quote, you stick a stout rod in a hole in the back. And it pops the batteries out. Mm-hmm. So I have yet to use it with the flash to have it fire. But all in all, the camera is um, meniscus lens. Okay. No focusing. It has an instant or a time setting. What does that mean, meniscus? It's just a single lens, oh. single optic lens type of thing. There's little screws on the front on the panel, so I took them off, cleaned the lens. It is a 6 by 9 format, so you get eight images on a roll of 120. Oh, very nice. Incredibly easy to hand hold this. This thing sold for 15 bucks new. Mm-hmm. And for some reason, I know why I did it. I have three rolls of 120 plus X left. Okay. My, my revered plus X. And mm-hmm. I put a roll in here, not even really thinking. Although I cleaned it. I was pretty sure it worked. Uh, but I didn't remember if I put the lens in the right way. Uh-oh. I know. But what I do you mean the lens? Well, there's a, I took the lens out and cleaned it from oh, the inside. Okay. That, and um, well, look at the size of, of that. Yeah, look, at look at the size of it. Eight, eight, shot, eight shots. Eight shots. Oh, that's nice. And I got eight perfect shots. How do you you did. Up? I did. In focus. In focus. In focus. Because I stayed five feet to infinity. Right. You shot outdoors, no flash? Outdoors, no flash. And how much can you buy that for these days? Um, hmm. Under 20. Yeah. Under 20. Not in that condition. Nothing's in beautiful now, condition. It, it really is, but... You bought, this on, you bought this on the bay? I bought this on the bay. And then one walked in your door the, door the next no, day? the manual. Oh, the manual. The instruction the manual. Because this whole battery issue was a curiosity. Do you enjoy shooting with this camera? Oh, my gosh. I have a Zeiss. 
uh, Box Tangor, which was an expensive box camera. Mm-hmm. I cannot shoot with that thing to save me. It's like I'm always, and it's a box camera. Mm-hmm. Every shot seems to have movement in it. Right. This one, every one was nailed. It's just eight shots up, eight mm-hmm. shots out, and it was perfect. Cool. Are the shots you took up on your Flickr? They are. all. I believe even all eight with uh, a set just for this camera. Right. So I do believe, though, maybe the shot that I did, what we refer to as the porn shot of the camera, right. probably has a blue bulb in it rather than this clear <laughs> oh, so shot. What? But blue bulb. Yeah, so. Oh, blue bulb. I'm sorry. <laughs> Stop. Uh, but, uh, other than that. Do you tag your pictures on Flickr? I sure do. So, and do you dump them in the FPP Flickr pool? My limit. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, film. If you go to flickr.com and type in Film Photography Podcast, you'll have our group. Mm-hmm. And then if you search... I'm sure if you search the Spartus Press Flash, you're going to get a limited amount of images. In general, if you do a yes, general search. a general search. And one of them or two of them probably be yours, mm-hmm. would you say? Yes. Do you post in uh, groups, different groups oh, outside yes. of FPP? Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. Do you dump photos in? I don't dump anything. Do you like, put like nice one or two every time you No, no, something. I only upload one to three per, per at a time. Yeah. I don't, I, I, a lot of people dump. They do. Well, sometimes there's a reason they good. dump. If they're doing like World Toy Day, you're required to put the whole roll up type of crap. Ooh, yeah, and, no. uh, in black and, and white no, forms, no. people just dump. And it's like, so, why is this in here? I, yes, it's black and white. It qualifies, but it's not a great photo. Oh, uh, mm. well, that's a whole other thing. Oh, may I see that? That looks awesome. Yeah, I think I'm just you're getting... a You're a Polaroid whiz. Yeah. Well, I'm going to, I think, manipulate that one. So. Awake. Look at the owl, uh-huh. the angry owl. Let me see. Coffee crisp. That looks, that's perfect. I wasn't sure there was film in the camera, so I fired it off, and by golly. That was so happened. perfect. But um, anyway, that's the, the Spartus Press Flash. Mm-hmm. I said it looks like a little little miner's light. It's. I thought for sure it was going to be a 620. I know. Wasn't that a, a joy when you find one of these? So yeah. 120? I wish. So, I don't have any box cameras. Oh, my god! i got to get me one. I have a box of cameras that say box on the end. <laughs> it's a box of box cameras. A box of box cameras? You, you need to start shooting more before you get I more cameras. Do. You know That's what? Right. The end of the day, I'm so tired. Yeah, I'm you should s- just have that can of EOS with you at all times. Yeah, you give me your I address. Should. I'll send you a box camera in a box. Oh, I'll pick you out something special. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I gotta, I gotta step it up, dude. You well, you know what? You got a fire under my butt when you're like, "Come on, we're having, we're going uh, to Ringwood Manor. We're gonna go shoot." Oh. You had a good time, right? Yeah, hell yeah, it was great. Well, you know, now that it's spring weather, I think we need to do it again. Yeah, mm, that'd be nice. Not I so just cool. put it out there to all the FPP. Go down to the ocean. Go down to the near <gasps> shore, or Spring Lake, and yeah. you can because yeah. you have a waterproof camera now, and it's I brightly do. yellow. Right. <laughs> we go to Spring Lake. We'll shoot it up and then have uh, dinner at our good friends, uh, the Breakers. Yeah. The Scardino family. Hey, one last letter. Sure. Oh, it's sweet sweet handwritten. Look at that. Dear Film Photography Project, I am taking a six-month road trip. Yeah. But do not have room for my 120 cameras or a place to cold store my film. So please accept what? This donation of film. It has always been cold stored, so it should be good to shoot with. I love exclamation point the podcast. And I'm taking my Polaroid 360 pack camera and 690 with a cooler full of instant film. Keep nice. up the great work. Keith mm. Holmgren. Very nice. Thank you very much, wow. Keith. Fantastic. Keith. You're, the, is, you're the best. Yeah, he is the best. been really great uh, having you folks listen in with us and all this year we've been playing cuts KTZ cuts from our good friend uh, uh, Darren Ballard Riley mm. the pink delicates mm. 
and our good friends, the Smooth Sailors. Yes. These are all people might say, well, duh, why do you have music on your film podcast? Yeah. You know what? Guys, snap <laughs> it. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> We have uh, music on the podcast because the folks involved with the podcast make this music. So that's really why. Uh, So when you hear a song, it's, you know, one of us uh, playing, not me, usually uh, John Fideli. Well, you're on a couple of smooth sailor cuts. Screaming. At the end going, yeah! (laughs) John Fideli, uh, uh, Dane Johnson, Mark Dalzell, our good friend Darren Pancho Ballard Riley in the UK. Kevin Neb. Kevin Neb, Kevin Neblong, and I'm hoping soon we'll have some new Pink Delicate Cuts, KTZ yeah, Cuts. We, we can have one or two cuts ready. So uh, okay, uh, write to us, podcast at filmphotographyproject.com. Visit our site, uh, filmphotographyproject.com, and please do visit our store, filmphotographystore.com. Uh, your purchases, and then if you want to donate, your donations all help keep it, this keeping this shoe going, and we'll see you very soon. Happy spring. Yeah!
So now I'll be retiring to 